Welcome to Work Like a Witch. My name is Caitlin Matanley, business coach for the witches. Witches do business differently, and I'm here to help you make money like magic. If you're exhausted and bored by your business, it's just because you've forgotten who you are. After all, you aren't one of the normal people. You are a witch. Hello, my friends, my witches. Welcome to Work Like a Witch. I'm tuning in on Thursday, November 5th, which is really important to specify because by the time this airs tomorrow, Friday, maybe things will have changed. Who knows? Um, I'm here on the other side of the border looking up to the United States, wondering what the fuck is going to (laughs) happen. Um, I mean, yes, I voted. I voted absentee. But my point was, is that it's interesting, you know, being part of the rest of the world looking in, wondering what's going to happen with this election. Um, I will say it's played out exactly the way I expected it to, which is basically us not really knowing and it being really close, depressingly close. Um, Yes, white supremacy won again the election, um, regardless of who wins, looking at, I mean, I know a lot of people were expecting a landslide. I wasn't. (laughs) I know that despite, you know, all of the people saying they were going to do the work after, you know, George Floyd and the onset of the second generation of the civil rights movement, that never actually ended. Um, I knew that the reality was that most people, most white people were going to choose their white privilege over everything else. And it's been really interesting, by interesting, I mean depressing to see how I think the current number is 40% of white women voted for Trump in the last election and 50% did this time. So yeah, there's major, major work to be done. And if I'm going to put this in a way that may seem a little harsh, (laughs) if you have back in, I don't know, what was it? May? I don't remember for sure. Um, you discovered that white supremacy was still a thing and that you were still complicit, (laughs) which you are if you are white because you're benefiting from it. Um, And you read a book or took a class and never really thought about it since. This is my loving call in for you to join us because the movement isn't anywhere close to being finished. So yeah, we will see what happens. Um, And of course, we'll really see what happens when the term is actually begun. Because let's not forget, that happens, what, mid-December? A lot could happen between now and then as well. So 
Anyway, hopefully that intro wasn't too depressing. Um, (laughs) It is a great segue into my interview today. It'll be interesting to see if when this airs on Friday, we know any more about whether our predictions that we talked about when um, we had this conversation, I think about a month ago, whether they have come true or if we know anything else, we will see. Um, I know you're going to love it. We're going to be talking about how spirituality and activism are related. We're going to be talking about how much of the so-called new age beliefs that you may have been exposed to actually come from a very specific set of ideologies and so much more good stuff. Um, other quick news, the Moody as Fuck Manifestation Workshop is tonight. So when you're listening to this, it's Friday. The live workshop has already happened, but I've decided to keep the recorded version up for a week. You can, well, you get actually like lifetime access to the replay, but you can purchase the replay for the next week. I'm going to have it as a recorded option. So head on over to caitlinmatanley.com slash moody as fuck, or I'm sorry, moody AF. <laughs> the link is in the show notes as well. If you missed out on the live workshop and you want the recorded workshop all about how to get what you want, no matter how shitty you feel, because that is more important now more than ever, because I know we're all feeling a lot of different emotions, many of which are would be labeled as negative. And it can be really easy to feel like when we feel when we're not feeling good or high vibe or whatever, that the things we desire are no longer on their way to us. And this workshop is my response to that. It's my response to toxic positivity. It's my response to all the messaging that makes a lot of us afraid to feel the feel the full range of human emotions. Definitely, definitely, definitely check it out if you have experienced that or if you have feelings like that or if you're just looking for more self-acceptance it, wherever you are this year. <laughs> this workshop's for you. So definitely check that out as well. Um, And it'll be up for the next week. So let's get into the interview now. And I will see you all on the other side, whatever that means. Hang in there, witches. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here today with a very special guest. Do I say that every time I do an interview? (laughs) I might, but I really mean it every single time because one of the great things about being an entrepreneur and having your own business and having your own platform, like this podcast that like five of you listen to, just kidding, it's more than five, um, is that you can talk to whoever you want. You can, to a certain extent, do whatever you want. I mean, at least way more than I've ever been able to do any job for somebody else. And a beautiful part about that is I get to pick who I get to talk to. I get to make sure they're interesting. And I'm really excited for this interview today because... I am interviewing one of my Instagram friends, Hex Activist. And what I mean by that is this, any of you who are, you know, who live on the internet like I do, um, pretty much anyone who, you know, was born after, I don't know, 1984, <laughs> you have people who you love talking to online, maybe you, you know, are constantly like looking in my case with Hex, like looking to see what new hilarious, really obscure specific memes are up or anything else. And it's really fun because we have these platforms where, you know, 
somebody can just kind of pop into your consciousness. I have no idea how I, how I originally started following Hex, but some people just pop into your consciousness and you start to realize like, oh, they're pretty cool. I think I was following Hex since, since they had like a smaller account even. I don't actually remember, but what's cool is that, you know, you start to kind of feel like you know a person a little bit, not in the creepy, like, oh, I think I know you on the internet, so I am entitled to all of the information about your personal life, kind of sense that some people feel. But in the sense of, you know, I feel like we're on the same page. I feel like we have things in common. I feel like we, you know, have some things to talk about. And then eventually, you know, you're responding to each other's stories as one does, and you start chatting, and you're like, this person's fucking cool. And so my guest today is one of those, this person's fucking cool people, hex activist. I welcome you to the show. I'm so excited to finally put a voice to the presence that you are. Welcome to Work Like a Witch. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for that wonderful intro. <laughs> You're welcome. I it, it, it's I think it's my first time actually introducing somebody as a presence. <laughs> but really I feel like that is the best way to describe you. But for those of you who are listening and are really confused and have no idea what I'm talking about, who don't follow Hex Activists on Instagram. I mean, what are you all doing? Hex, I would appreciate it so much if you would introduce yourself. If you would tell us about your work, feel free to include your pronouns, your social identifiers. Tell us about who you are and what you do on the internet and in the world. So um, I like to go by she, they. Not that it really matters. You could call me like anything and I don't care, but <laughs> that's just me. Um, and what I kind of do is just talk about whatever issues might be happening in the world or in, you know, interpersonal life. And I try to frame them in both like a more intellectual way and a spiritual way. So for example, with like white supremacy and all of the things cropping up with that, like I tried to frame it as, um, how you could investigate this both through like a historical context and like a shadow work spiritual context. And so this is kind of like the, the little thing that I've been doing for the past couple of years, which is kind of fun. I don't know if that's exactly what you want, were asking, but that's, that's just how I kind of uh, view the work that I'm doing. I love it. I love it. I love that you bring so many of what I perceive to be your personal interests and affinities into the things you share online and the things you write online. And, you know, like you said, ranging from topics around, you know, spirituality, around white supremacy and spirituality, and of course, outside of it as well. Um, you talk a lot about like Greco-Roman mythology. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> I think. I, I hate to love it and I love to hate it and I just can't stop. And it's so annoying to myself, but hopefully other people like it. Like, I don't know. I like, I pretty much never know what you're talking about. And I always love it. So there you go. Awesome. Um, and also just like some randomness, like a nice, a nice splash of randomness. And I appreciate that because on this show, in my life, in my work, I really deeply value the importance of celebrating the multifaceted nature of the human existence. With that in mind, what's something that people might be surprised 
to learn about you. I mean, I was surprised that you were so knowledgeable about like Greco-Roman mythology and, you know, history. Not that I ever expected you not to be, but it's just like, I don't know shit about that. (laughs) (laughs) What's something else that people would be surprised to learn about you? I probably have like a lot of those things. So it's just like, I'll just pull something out and I'm just like, and people are like, what? Like, I didn't realize you knew so much. I'm like, oh yeah, I did that for like 10 years. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Um, I have been working with kids for almost 25 years, like in various uh, teaching capacities and stuff. So that's something that I don't talk about a lot, but it is something that has obviously taken up a fair amount of my life. Um, I've been working in herbalism as an herbalist for like 15 years. So I'm not, I don't really talk a lot about all of my plant knowledge, but I definitely have a fair amount of it. Um, and I played flute for a really long time. I'm pretty good. <laughs> so that's a random thing, but yeah. When it was, did I you play a woodwind though? No, I play the violin. Oh, the violin's great. It's super hard. Well, I wanted to play the flute, and this is actually going to sound so creepy when I tell the story now, but I, <laughs> we, <laughs> our band teacher, I guess like fourth grade or something, he, <laughs> this is so, so weird, he was like screening us for different instruments, <laughs> mm-hmm. and literally the screening for, do you want to play the flute, was like, I guess you have to like <laughs> blow, <laughs> you have to blow oh, like a yeah. step away, and he was like, do this. And if you couldn't do it, then you didn't get in the flu. <laughs> yeah. They used to do that. I know because you have to blow. It sounds so bad, right? Like you have to blow so hard. Like they say you have to blow 110% of your air. So like oh. you have, <laughs> I'm really good at blowing. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I, yeah, no, I get it. I they say though. <laughs> I know. It's a thing. It helped out much later in life. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but they say that the violin is the same as like your heart. So mm-hmm. it's the same pitch as your heart. So it pulls at your heartstrings, which is why people weep when they hear violins being played. So I think it's like a special thing. Oh, wow. That's yeah. I know. There's like a whole spiritual thing to the <laughs> to the instruments, and like when you find out, you're like, "Damn, okay, well." <laughs> I wish you, I wish I you'd been know. there back then to tell me that. <laughs> I, I, I might I not have it. <laughs> okay, so like when I was young too, like I was in band. I really wanted to play in the jazz band, and they wouldn't let me. They said there's no flutes in jazz, which was just the teacher <laughs> being a dick. But it still to this day bothers me, and I'm like, it's like literally almost like whatever. Wait, 25 years past me and I'm like still mad about it I'm like there are jazz flutists you're rude wasn't like real Will Ferrell a jazz flutist in like Anchorman or something right it's a thing and <laughs> that's what Lizzo does I like straight up cried when she played her jazz flute I was like what the fuck I oh, knew yeah, it was I real was like, yeah it was but you know it's funny because I learned how to play the other woodwind instruments out of spite because I was like I'm getting into the jazz band <laughs> so I learned <laughs> I learned all of them, but then I graduated and I was like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> wow. That, you know, it's, know. It's just, that's it's my Aries. Hard. I can't. Right. <laughs> that's like, that's so, that's the most Aries thing I've ever heard. I know, know, right? I'm just going to be amazing at all of them. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like good enough to be 
you know, I, I was okay, but I wasn't, I wouldn't call myself good. I, I was, I've always been a musical underachiever. Like I took guitar so like six years of guitar lessons later on and I was fine, but the reality was I wanted to be a rock star. I didn't want to be practicing the guitar. <laughs> You're so funny. You're like, I can play damn it. <laughs> and that's all, that's all I needed to know. <laughs> yeah. It was just not. It was, it was really not interested. My partner is a guitarist, and whenever I pick it up and, like, I know how to hold a guitar, I know a few chords. He's always like, wow, so impressive. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I didn't take six years of it. I just, you know, I just – I don't like practice. I'm a Capricorn. I don't like practicing things I'm not immediately good at, you know? It's just how Yeah, that you have no financial or, like, you know, incentive <laughs> exactly. to, like, master. I feel that. I feel that. That's a very Capricorn thing, actually. <laughs> Super funny. So, Hex, you are the true internet royalty of spiritualish meme sharing. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm bequeathing – is that a word? I'm, I'm bequeathing you that honor. I don't know if that's a word or used correctly, but um, – it is a word. Thank you. I don't know. It's been a while since I've used it, but I'm pretty sure. I think if you have the ability to bequeath something, then you used it correctly. Fabulous. I'm bequeathing you this senseless honor. And <laughs> serious question: What makes a great meme? How do you decide, and how do you decide what to? I mean, you also create some fantastic memes, but. What makes a great meme? What makes something shareable? What makes something take hold in the extremely niche internet zeitgeist that we inhabit? Oh, man. So I feel like I just had to start thinking in memes. And maybe like I always did it because, you know, being like an 80s child, you kind of look at TV shows and you're like, oh, it's like that episode of The Simpsons when Lisa's like, yeah, you know, whatever. And then and then you're like that's how you think anyway and then it became a whole like expression and I was like oh great there's there's a whole thing for the way I've been perceiving the world this whole time excellent and putting it into this little like freeze frame I felt like I had to kind of just like you know you take in all these memes and you start to dissect the way that they're put together so it's just kind of like marketing in a way and you have to it's I don't know. It's like an intersection between marketing and uh, so pairing a concept down into an easily digestible formula. And then it's uh, like comedy. So like taking a social observation and putting it into a way that people can relate to. That's probably funny. Um, so I think that juxtaposition of seeing the world in these little snapshots already and then putting it into this like little framework of easily digestible information that's making social commentary. It just like, it was a way that I started training myself to, I guess, extrapolate and put forth information, you know? That is so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I, I really am a believer in like seeing the like what 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 deeper things are at play in the mundane pop culture phenomenon like i love you know social commentary on reality tv i love your explanation of memes that you just gave like i <laughs> interesting cuz this is like the new anthropology that's what i say about yes TV. you know that was my major in, in college anthropology mm -hmm. so same <laughs> 
okay so you get it you're just like yeah it's like a whole if if you know you know that's like it's like social archaeology in a way putting my degree to use every time I watch reality TV. Thank you. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're like, I can't stop. I'm thinking about how like, you know, and it's funny too, because I think about it. I think that's why I like the Romans and the Greeks and the Norse and all these people so much, because I'm like, they, they're they the same. There's no difference. We were, we're just dipshits for a thousand years. You know, it's like, it's so funny to me. Totally. Well, it's like, yeah, like the housewives are just like the new Greek, comedy tragedies you know I mean it's just it's what exactly, it is. <laughs> exactly they're just like the chorus singing in one of like Ovid's plays and you're just like mm-hmm, yep <laughs> while their husbands go and do whatever and yeah it's amazing I love it I love drawing those connections or even just like seeing old graffiti and they're like oh it must be something spiritual and it's like Sfard was here <laughs> in room <laughs> And you're just like, oh my god, that's hilarious. We still do that. I love it. <laughs> I think about that a lot. Like the things, I mean, so I had an ex-boyfriend who was an archaeologist and that like put a lot of things in perspective to me because up until that point, my only experience with archaeology was like Indiana Jones and um, <laughs> very accurate. And I, it was funny because like it seemed so glamorous, but he, I remember him telling me one day about like there's a word for it in archaeology. I forget what it's called, but basically there's a word for like the trash, like the ancient trash. Midden. Was it? Midden. Exactly. Yes, that was it. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like blew my mind because it's funny because I feel like anything that's old, we just automatically put value on. And mm-hmm. like if I found a chunk of an old plate, I would be really fucking excited, you know? Right. <laughs> they yeah. just throw it in the trash. <laughs> yeah. It's like ancient trash. So you wonder, you know, how many things that we think are really meaningful that have been found from ancient times are actually just like graffiti. (laughs) It's so true, though. You know, it's so interesting. And I think it comes from like two places. I mean, I could like literally talk about this all day, as you know. But I, uh, I think it's really fascinating because I think it comes from sedentism, like when we moved away from more like nomadic wandering communities and started actually putting roots down. That's when the shift from like small, useful, like a small, useful package of things that you really needed, like one bowl, one cup, whatever, to actually making toys and whatever else. So we started to have more possessions and materialism became more a part of like humanity so that's a thing that happened anywhere from 40,000 to 100,000 years ago. And then, which you could probably like spiritually, intellectually be like, yeah, okay, I could see that. And then, and then um, the breaking apart of our indigenous cultures, I really feel that we stop being able to ascertain what is meaningful and what isn't meaningful. Mm. And we just like ascribe value and like meaning to random things because they're old or because they're interesting, regardless of if they carry any sort of meaning actually, you know? Yeah, really. I have a weird relationship with possessions because I've always been a purger. <laughs> like my, like I was like a child. De- I was like Marie Kondoing my bedroom at age seven. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm just weird. I'm, I'm a weirdo, you know? And like later I like lived a nomadic lifestyle. And then when I, I moved, I lived in Mexico city. Now when I moved here, it was, I remember like there was a, a transition where 
I wasn't any longer like carrying all my possessions, but I also wasn't quite ready to like acquire a lot of new ones. And that period took some time. And it was, it's really funny because I would look at like when I moved maybe, you know, a couple years after that, when I moved in with my partner and he had lived in the same apartment for six years and in the city for 29 years, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, oh, you have so much shit. I, I really felt like I was moving in with a hoarder. And the funny thing was that then I, um, when I went to visit his mother, his, his parents' house for the first time, I was like, oh, they have even more stuff. And then when I went to visit his grandparents' house, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, they have even more stuff. And it was so interesting. We were there at his grandparents' house this past week. It was so interesting to me to see how people differ in like what they place importance on, you know? And I, I made me wonder, I'm like, I wonder if I will, would ever be in a place again where I would keep this like thing I was looking at, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's really funny thinking about like that in the, in the historical context and what it means to put down roots and how that's changed over time and how that, yeah, like how just that, like you said, the meaning we ascribe to the things we're surrounded by. And it's, it's so interesting. I don't know why like hoarding comes up a lot in my life. Like not me personally, right? Like, or at least I like to think so. <laughs> Maybe books. I have a book problem. Everyone thinks that. But, That's how you know. <laughs> I know, right? I know exactly. That's what they all say. Like, oh no. But like, yeah. So I think it comes from the detachment to community and the inability to like process though that, you know, just like this exile, right? So we put all these stories and these things onto things. And so maybe we just have this old doll that we never even liked, but it was given to us by our best friend and we no longer talk to them. We keep holding on to this doll because we're holding on to the memory of our best friend who we don't even talk to anymore, but we're just not ready to let it go because there's this whole identity that's attached to it. And because we're so fragmented in our society, it's like they they actually say this is like a real legitimate thing and it's helped at least three people. I don't know why so many, but there you go. Um, like go through their hoarder houses. And it's like when they tell the story of the thing, they no longer have any attachment to it because it's it's just the emotion. And it's the inability to process those emotions. And so you just keep acquiring things because they're all stories and you don't have anyone to share the stories. Wow. That like really hit me in the gut for kind of a different reason. Like uh, back in a previous life, I I mean, a, a life of this lifetime. <laughs> <Not a laughs> you know, we life. have to be specific. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I was in a marriage that wasn't a fit for me. And I, during that time, developed a, a spending addiction. And it's interesting to look back and like, I got like crazy into debt because of it. Because I felt so isolated and I really felt like a little stifled by, a lot stifled by the the world that had been created around me. And I really think that that like detachment, like you said, the detachment from community, when you said that, I realized like, holy shit, I, I did that, like to surround myself with things that I ended up like usually reselling in the end anyway, because I I felt isolated, you know, because that gave like a sense of comfort that I didn't have, you know, feeling alone, feeling isolated. And 
yeah, that just like hit me in a really powerful way. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Happy to help. <laughs> but yeah, I do think about that a lot because, and I think it's like the same thing with uh, Fox News. Even I know like at particularly lonely moments in my life, I've listened to like the radio just because I'm like somebody else is awake while I'm awake. And that's another person. And I know they exist and we're existing together, even though I've never met this person. I don't know any, right. You're just like, I'm not alone. And so I feel that it becomes this whole thing because capitalism destroys the communities and, you know, like the, I mean, I'm just going to say it, Christianity, when it came in and it destroyed the indigenous, I know, I'm like, eh, okay, whatever, we're doing it. Um, it, in, it destroyed our indigenous connections with each other and with ourselves. And then I'm not necessarily saying that Christianity is the problem, but that initial destruction didn't allow us to supplant it with anything that was going to be healthy. It was all like um, coming from a different place that makes sense for, for, for that place, but not for the place where our ancestors were. So now we're coming into this situation where everything's kind of at its like tower moment, you know, and, and we're all in a sense alone. And so we're looking for these connections, even social media is like, I'm not alone because you're here, you know, and it's like, that's the radio, essentially the radio situation. That's like, I'm listening because I know that somebody else is existing and we can share this moment. And so I just wonder like how we can shift that in a way that's going to bring us together. Because like you're seeing the spending addiction, it's like, if I'm buying from you, then we develop a relationship because I've bought a product from you and now I don't feel so alone, but it's not a real relationship if it's only a one-time thing, you know? Oh, that hits me so hard. I mean, really, it's like, especially that obsessive that I related to back then and that is still really encouraged by social media, that like obsessive curation of a of a lifestyle, you know? And it's just really funny to me now as somebody who like only spends cash, how just naturally that like that obsessive curation, it doesn't, it can't really coexist with like a cash-based existence. Like that obsessive, you know, looking for the perfect thing. And like, even if you don't have the cash, which is of course like a privilege to have access to credit in that way, I was like, oh, well I can just, you know, like I'm going to step into this, my like ideal persona, <laughs> you know, and, and like feel into my future success. And there's like all these, all this really toxic messaging around that. And it's so interesting because especially with that like obsessive curation where you can like, you can find, you know, these small independent creators on Instagram or, you know, Etsy or whatever. And, and that's a beautiful thing. And the, that like pseudo relationship you've described, it takes the place of a real connection and it's so fleeting. The second you get the thing, it's done. Yeah. And like people who only want to interact with you because you've spent money with them. It's so damaging on a psychic level to think that real connection comes at a cost. Like that's mm. not okay because it's supposed to be reciprocal you give me something, I give you something, we build each other up, regardless of distance. Because even if we think on it on like a tribal level, you know, 
if from wherever in the world at whatever time, it's like people traded, they interacted with each other. There were there were groups of people who would travel long distances and bring goods. There were other groups of people who stayed stationary but would look forward to travelers coming in. We've always been social and collaborative and reciprocal. And now we have this kind of like relationship, like you're saying, where it's like, you give me something and then I might like your post. <laughs> it's like, you know, we're so desperate that we're like, okay, yay, you followed me on Instagram. I feel so complete now. And it's like, that's not complete. Like, I'm looking for connection and relationships and I want to feel whole and know that if I go somewhere in the world, I have a friend and we can connect and have dinner and coffee and a good time. Not just, I bought your thing and now you like tolerate me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in the numbers and I talk about this all the fucking time, but it's, you know, we're like so obsessed with how many people are in the crowd. It's like, it reminds me honestly of when I was in college and my, I lived in like a party house (laughs) and we would have parties all the fucking time. And I remember like when it was a big party, maybe it was like my birthday or something or one of my roommates, we would, this like desperation to get enough people there for to be like really epic, you know? And that's how I feel sometimes how a lot of people are with like Instagram now of, oh, I just need more people. And I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, okay, I don't, okay. Say you have a hundred people, a hundred people in your Instagram community. Cause I hate the word followers. It's like, what the, you you wouldn't even know what to do with a hundred people in your, in your home. (laughs) Like, you wouldn't even know what to do with 20 people in your home probably. So let's actually focus on the individuals, the relationships, because exactly. they're the ones who, yeah, will eventually become clients, but also more than that, they become your community. They become your people. You know, I don't want to be surrounded by a bunch of people who are just like buying things. I want to be surrounded by people who I can engage with, who I can have a relationship with, who I can, you know, be in community with. Exactly. I don't want people who want to extract from me. I want people who want to invest in me. So that's been one major shift, I think, especially with this, you know, platform that I've had, where if you pay attention to my posts, I don't use hashtags, like hardly ever, unless ironically, right? And it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't do any of the things to get exposure. I don't want it. I want people who organically find my content and really resonate with it and want to be there. And that's how I hardly ever have shitty interactions. I hardly ever have like white tears in my inbox. And it's like, if I do, it's usually coming from somebody who now feels comfortable enough after interacting with me enough times that they can express their true self. And I'm like, that's not cool. Do it again. And you got to go. But Mm. It's so few and far between versus before where I was just like, let me do the hashtags, let me do this, let me do that. And I would just get people who would rip me off, who would just, you know, like, try and constantly push boundaries, who would just like say the most outrageous things. And I was like, why is this happening? But I feel that that's one of those things where exactly like you're saying, it's not about how many people, it's about the quality of the people and the quality of investment you can also give to them. So that's the same advice I give to folks as well. I'm just like, no, who cares? It's not about that. It's about what you are attracting into your space by how you're showing up. Totally. 
and I mean, even if we're looking at it from a business perspective, the reality is like very few people need a hundred clients, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it depends obviously on your business model and that's a whole separate conversation, but it's just, you know, people are so focused on, you know, impressing people mm-hmm. <laughs> that they're actually forgetting that it's, it's not required to make an impact. It's not required to make an income and it's not required to actually feel a sense of satisfaction in the work you're doing. Exactly. Really I also think people are scared of math and so they don't actually do the math <laughs> on the numbers. And I'm like, if you're pricing your tarot readings at $10, yeah, you probably do need a hundred people to buy tarot readings from you. But is that sustainable? No, like you right. don't want a hundred people <laughs> buying tarot readings from you. Trust me, you know? So Truly. Do the math, sweetheart. Don't do it like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you are. People are afraid of math, but I remember actually, like a couple years ago, when I was reading professionally, I got into like a little tiff in a tarot Facebook group, um, where about pricing, you know. And I was, I was at the time charging my my readings were one hundred eleven dollars. They're an hour, and I remember somebody in the group when I mentioned what I charge, they're like, "Yeah, but how many do you book at that rate?" And I was like, well, you charge 10. So how many do you book at that rate? Let's do math. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I personally am lazy and I want to work less. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I, that's exactly what I say too. I'm like, no, if I get one person and you get 10, I feel like you're the one who got tricked. Like have a good day. (laughs) Totally, totally. I love it. Okay, let's get real. I mean, just kidding. We've been getting real. I love it. (laughs) Talk to us about how activism is spiritual. Oh man. So I could just, I don't know. So I guess I did a lot of time as a yoga instructor and um, in yoga, there's a concept called karma yoga, which is basically how yoga this, it's not just like doing asana. So we're not just like doing warrior two pose and then you know whatever that's not it at all but yoga as the eight limbed philosophy and so what that talks about is just how your everyday actions and the way that you show up in the world it is actually part of the spiritual framework that you should be embodying if you are a true yogi right Mm -hmm. and so I do reference this a lot but the Bhagavad Gita talks about this exact thing too Basically, um, how even though it may not feel good to have to hold people accountable for their actions, i.e. you're an activist, you're holding people accountable, right? And you're showing up and that can be in a really intense, like combative way, or it can be like on a low grade way where you're just sending out like petitions or whatever, no matter how you're showing up. So in a way, it seems like you might be causing harm, because maybe you're going to put somebody's job at risk, or maybe you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. But what the the Gita talks about is how that isn't actually harm, because these people are being called to account for their higher self. So if they continue to resist that, um, coming into harmony, and, you know, doing that inner work to address whatever issue they they came to this life to address, then holding them accountable basically puts them in a place where they can start to actually make that right. Maybe they die, in which case they they come back in another life and they can actually try again. And this time, maybe they won't screw it up. That's what the Gita talks about. So 
that's my like framework, my operating framework, my premise, you know? So when I show up as an activist, I think, well, we can't all feel safe and good, even if I feel safe in the world, if a black man is being shot dead on the street, if a trans woman is being murdered, a black trans woman, you know, just for existing, then I'm not actually safe. My safety is actually their safety. So we can't all be safe until we're all safe. You know, we can't all be happy until we're all happy. We can't all be, you know, free until we're all free, right? And so the activism comes with knowing that my, like, personal embodiment of the things that I want in this life, which maybe it sounds selfish as I'm saying it, but oh well, um, my personal embodiment of those happiness and freedom and liberty and all these qualities and like ideas, it can't come unless other people are also living with that, you know? And so I feel that if I want to actually be a spiritual person who believes in the higher you know, like the way I see spirituality is just connection with bliss, connection with love and all of those things. And so if I want to actually reside in a state of being in loving connection with everything, then everything has to be able to access that as well, or else I'm just kind of like faking it. I only get such a small percentage of it. And it's not the fullness of the picture because other people are being denied the safety to be able to lean into that too. I don't know if that makes sense makes total sense that's actually so beautiful (laughs) (laughs) I mean it's just like such a poetic way I think to express a really real truth about how you know no one's free when others are oppressed and it's frustrating for me and I know for you as well to see that reality ignored in the I used to say call it like the new age community, but I fucking hate that term because it's so, it's actually talking about something very specific that I don't agree with. So I'm going to call it like the world of internet spirituality. Mm. <laughs> I think that's more of a fit. So it's so frustrating to see that missed or ignored or of course deliberately, you know, um, passed by because like you said, it's actually such a core of a fundamental understanding of so many spiritual traditions you know that activist component and the fact that we've gotten to a point where anybody feels like they're separate to me is just such a it just shows how for many spirituality has become a sort of an expression of an expression of privilege but also a marker of privilege Mm. It's interesting. I mean, the new age slash internet spiritual community, it's actually really interesting to me because I've been on Instagram for a quick minute. Like this account hasn't been around as long as like I've been on Instagram. And because I've been in the yoga community, like it is very rife in the yoga community, all this new age shit. Mm -hmm. It comes from theosophy and theosophy is basically like a whitewashed version of the Eastern mysticism. So it's Buddhism and uh, Indian spirituality, which essentially is, you know, pre-Buddhism, Hinduism, right? Um, And all of these, and then there's a little bit of the uh, European indigenous traditions, whatever's left of that, which I mean, we try, right? But 
it doesn't really exist. And then a lot of Christian mysticism, which is basically what you see in the internet spiritual community, because it's theosophy, mm. but nobody understands what theosophy is. So all of that information, Atlantis, Lemuria, um, what else? The, the um, Arcturian starseed shit, all of that stuff. It all comes from that. And that's all Helena Blatovsky and even Rudolf Steiner, who branched off from the theosophical, theosophical group and founded Anthroposophy. So this is all in the 1800s, which don't even get me started on the 1800s because that's a whole other <laughs> conversation. But, Next episode. <laughs> you know, and so this is all happening in that time. Um, and then, and then we come into this era. So it's, it's so fascinating because a lot of those people died off. Like Shiner died basically, um, I want to say slightly after World War One, And he was the last person he knew. I don't remember if he learned from Blodowski actually, or if he learned from one of her disciples. Either way, um, that whole arc of people died basically by world war ii and you know the nazis were actually super into theosophy and anthroposophy they mm -hmm. they used uh biodynamic gardening which comes from steiner um steiner as far as i can tell was not down with the nazis but that's a whole nother conversation in can of worms so we're just gonna blow right past that <laughs> like, <laughs> so the nazis were really into this and so what we have now is this really like toxic mix of like literally fascist tinged spirituality because the fascists were into the theos uh, theosophical framework. So the theosophy that comes to us now, if we're not careful and we don't know the story, which I think almost nobody does because who cares? It seems so archaic. Like even to me, I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't care when I was first learning about all of this, right? And so then I came to it like almost 15 years after I started reading spiritual literature. And I was like, oh, oh, I remember this. Like, damn, I had no idea. And so I think a lot of people don't have any idea and they're not as uh, interested in these narratives as maybe like, you know, individuals, other individuals like myself might be. So you have like the reptilian conspiracies and things like that and that is jew anti-jewish you know in its origins so it's really interesting because if you can see all these little threads then you see the tapestry that they're weaving and like when all of this kind of like QAnon spiritual community shit happened i wasn't surprised because i saw it happening in like 2010 and 2012 I already knew that's where all these people are going. And I tried to stop and talk to, you know, some of the larger accounts, but it's hard to reach them when you yourself don't have the firm understanding, which I think is what actually led me here because I was like, I need to know more so I can combat it. And now I know a lot and it's really bad. <laughs> so I don't know if it was helpful to learn it all, but like there's, there it is. That's the framework and why we are where we are. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I feel you, though. It's it's upsetting, but that's what it is. And that's where it comes from. So you just blew my fucking mind. <laughs> I have not I don't know anything about that. And this is totally a moment which I've had not not many of these moments in the past few years. 
a moment of like, what else don't I know? Because I mean, I do like, I'm not surprised. I wasn't surprised either with the QAnon stuff because of just like what I saw as like massive disinformation and internalized white supremacy existing in the internet, spiritual, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, circus, (laughs) we'll we'll call it. Um, but this is so fascinating to see how this plays into history. And I think we need to have like a whole nother episode about this, but I mean, right now I'm not just right now, but like, especially now I in general really feel that those of us who have access and who do know at least something about our own cultural heritages, it's really interesting to look to the spiritual practices that we have, you know, come from on this earthly lineage. And for me, looking into my Hungarian and Slavic ancestry with paganism, I was sort of surprised to find that, yeah, like you said, there's a ton of neo-Nazi apologism mm-hmm. and a lot of symbols from those, those um, back, not backgrounds, those uh, traditions, <laughs> that's the word, <laughs> traditions being used by the Nazi party during World War II. And I was like, Oh, like here, I mean, I, I'm already looking and filtering spiritual information through the thread of, you know, white supremacy, through the thread of cultural appropriation, through these threads. And this was like a whole nother layer that I just hadn't really accessed before. And it's just really interesting to me to hear you now put this in a context because I think it's a big problem that a lot of people especially white people, (laughs) of which I am one, you know, a lot of people, they simply don't care, like you said, about the origin or like where any of these ideas have come from. And of course, some people don't, like they literally just don't even have access to, you know, what any, any of their traditions where they've come from. And it's, you know, in this era of just, you know, being able to Google like what to do, how to whatever, how to do this. It's like we've really, we're losing the power that comes from understanding the past and understanding the mistakes of the past and how they relate to these ideas that to many seem just extremely, you know, innocent. Yeah. And it's complicated because, and you know, because we're probably the same age, like I'm 84. I don't know when you were born. 85, yeah. Okay, so you you know, I grew up during a time where up until senior year of high school, I could turn in handwritten papers. Wikipedia oh, totally. was not, even while I was in college, not considered a reliable source, even though it was probably more reliable than like, Brit- like Britannica. Um, <laughs> but still, you weren't allowed. You had to go to the library and get the actual physical sources. I mean, JSTOR, I feel like the, you know, like the journal. Oh, JSTOR. I know, right? <laughs> like, that was still a baby. Like, there were a lot of the um, the reading material. I still have it because it was printed out and you had to buy the readers at college. And they actually yeah. printed out the different papers from people that they wanted you to read for your course. And now it's like a totally different ball game. And so I feel that we still have this kind of idea that, Unless the information is coming from a specific source, which now we're starting to understand isn't reliable. Like, I mean, this this wasn't even a conversation before about they were like, yes, like, for example, archaeologists and anthropologists were 
like filtering things to their their white bias, right? But or they're masculine. I think they focus more on how they were male and that it was a masculine bias. But we didn't talk and maybe like a Western framework applied to whatever culture. But it wasn't really like as overtly discussed as we're discussing things now. And so I feel like a lot of millennials, especially and definitely the older generations, we're just in this weird bridge of information where we're like, I know all of this is just nonsense. So if it resonates with me, sure, I'll take it. Why not? Because we grew up in an era where it was literally nonsense unless you had like a college peer-reviewed paper backing it up. And Mm -hmm. so now we have these younger kids who grew up in a time where, yes, like the first Google hit was considered an acceptable source because that's how things transitioned for them and so they just take information without really critically analyzing it like we did and they're also like you know being raised by people who are tired of critically analyzing things maybe not so much millennials so we're in like this weird liminal space between cultures where we're like everything sucks all the time from (laughs) everyone you know (laughs) but the older generations are just like yeah well I read it online and you know, that's fine, because I did my college degree, I have a doctorate, and you're just like, that's not how that works, you know, (laughs) and like, and then they're sharing it with their grandkids, and the grandkids are like, oh, cool, it's coming from an adult, so it must be true, you know, and you're just like, none of this is true, (laughs) like, so. Yeah, it really, it's kind of crazy how, you know, the information, (laughs) information technology, how it has changed, and in some ways, it's a blessing, I mean, I was in tears just a few weeks ago, because I was like, looking at like a bunch of books that were available for pre-order and just like seeing like finally books being published by that I mean like book deals being given to witches of color to witches who are you know like non-binary witches like people who in the past I mean when I was learning about witchcraft as a 12 year old it was like Silver Ravenwolf. Yes, I was gonna say that's like one or two. Like, do you want the Wicca book or do you want the other Wicca book that's a little more inclusive? There was no discussion. I remember I was so fucking bummed when I got my first book on Wicca and I discovered it was just another fucking religion. Yeah, right. I know because you're like, no, no, no. I didn't want this. Like, there's got to be something else. Right. So it's like, it's great that there are like now, I mean, and I, and I practice, I develop my practice intuitively because I was like, okay, I know I'm a witch, but like, this is bullshit. So, but the fact of the matter is, it's like, in some ways it's amazing that there's so much more now. And yeah, it, it is really just like a different, it's a completely different environment also in the ways you've described where, you know, Yesterday, I, I watched a YouTube video. I wish I could remember who it was by. It was someone, I think it was just like automatically recommended to me, which I now, after reading, watching The Social Dilemma, have learned you're not supposed to click on those videos because oh, you man. get deeper in the algorithm. Okay, so but- that whole thing on like a really quick tangent, that's how people get radicalized into neo-Nazism through letting the autoplay feature on YouTube roll because you're only ever three to five clicks away from Nazi propaganda. What? Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Holy crap. Yeah. Because at the end of that documentary, they have like things that like the people who, you know, kind of invented the social networks who now don't work for them anymore. Like they tell you like kind of the, the small things you can do to slightly extricate yourself from whatever. 
And that was one of the things they didn't give context for why that was, but I listened and then apparently didn't listen yesterday because <laughs> I clicked on this video. It was about like cross-referencing and it, and it was a very young author or video maker. I don't know. What are they called? I don't even know. Videographer? Thank you. Videographer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even, I'm too old to know what people, I remember when YouTube came out, but anyway, she was talking about, yeah, kind of like what you're describing, a more, you know, academic approach to cross-referencing and things. And it was like, holy shit, I've literally never heard anyone talk about this for the past 20 years. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it has actually been that long for us because we've been out of school for a quick minute. Yeah. <laughs> but that's wild. Five videos. Yeah. It's actually really bad. When I was teaching at um, the last school I was at, um, a lot of kids watch YouTube because they would play things like Fortnite and whatever. And so mm -hmm. I, I don't know how I discovered it. Like I already knew there was a bunch of Nazi propaganda on YouTube. And then I think I found an article or I saw something somewhere and I was like, oh my God. And so I sent it out because I'm always trying to be like, give it off the TV. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm, I'm still like uncool. Like I grew up on TV and then I'm like, no TV, TV is bad, Blech. but whatever. So I, um, I saw that and I sent it out and I had parents saying, my kid was acting so strange and saying like super misogynistic and racist stuff. And I thought it was just their friend. Now I'm thinking it's YouTube because they watch a lot of the gaming videos to figure out how to beat the video game. And they had been watching more of them recently. And now they've been saying all this stuff. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, yeah, get them off the YouTube. Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not shocked, but that's also horrifying. Like, I'm, it's like, I, I'm really not at all shocked about anything anymore. And it's like, fuck. Okay, so it's not just, you know... <laughs> It's, yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's really not our imagination. <laughs> no, we're not hallucinating it. I know this right. culture is so huge on gaslighting our, our like reality, but we're not hallucinating it. It is actually worse. And a lot of people do let YouTube just play while they're working or something. They're just, and uh, it's just, there's so much. And like, it's such a subtle erosion because even if we think about like the United States specifically and how things were in like the 80s to now, I mean, okay, so when I was in college in like 2004, I read um, Robert Reich. He's like super big on Twitter and Instagram now, which I love because I read him like 20 years ago and I was like, he's the <laughs> shit. And now he's like literally everyone's shit. And I'm like, yes, this is the best turnaround, even though it's for a terrible reason. But I read his book called Rich Media, Poor Democracy. And it was talking about how the media consolidation of at that point six major corporations owning something like 90% of all independent media. And now it's something like three or four major corporations mm -hmm. owning like almost 99% of all independent and major media. And that was like 20 years ago, right? So mm -hmm. um, that is something that happened starting with like late 70s, early 80s going to now. And if you look at the radicalization of the conservative people, and the rise in like corporate Christianity and, and televangelism. And you look at um, like the 24 hour news cycle, like CNN even and C-SPAN and Fox News and all of that. 
you can almost peg the most radical and uh, scary things happening in our, quote, democracy, like, to these time periods where the media was being consolidated and when there was media saturation, even talking about Sinclair Broadcasting and how they own almost all of the local news networks. So they just give them something to read and across the nation, everyone is getting the same script. So from San Diego all the way to like Albany, New York or wherever in Maine, they're all reading the same script. So everyone's just getting fed propaganda. It's freaking crazy. And that comes exactly with the consolidation of media. And so cross-referencing sources and all these things that we didn't realize we would have to continue practicing. It's like, that's it because we're not getting, we're getting fed a very specific narrative that makes us more pliable to, you know, the interests of the corporations and, and, you know, people who are profiting yeah. off of us, not questioning that reality. I love it. I, I'm, I'm you know, I'm really fun to talk to, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I feel like I'm like in an issue of ad busters. <laughs> I don't, I used to you love that. that <laughs> I got in, when I was in high school, I was like, yeah, if anyone listening, if you know, you know. <laughs> that was the uh, the ad busters. Oh my God, era. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, like, quick side note. I mean, and of course, like, those publications have their they have their problems i am well aware but it's um it's i mean i did list i did read them in high school <laughs> but it's funny because when there was um recently that like when facebook was cracking down on mm-hmm. all of the um you anarchists. know yeah, all the anarchist groups, right? And so they were, and one of the ones they cited was Crime Thing, and I was like, Crime Thing is a Facebook page, like what? I know, right? Yeah. I was like, do they still send out those like boxes of the paper pamphlets for you to like pass around your town? Because those were the so funny. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. I was horrible. I know. Yeah, when I, I lived in San Francisco, I used to go to the anarchist bookstore, and like, it that was the same thing, like, and. I don't even know if it's there anymore. Like that was just like an era where all of that was ending, which is kind of sad because I didn't even know. Oh, right? God, exactly. Like, I didn't even know. You, you didn't even know. And you're like, this is cool. And then it's gone. And you're like, wait, what? No, bring me back. I don't want, <laughs> I don't want this store. What is this? Like a McDonald's? I don't want it. Like give me the anarchist bookstore. <laughs> Although like, to be perfectly honest, some of, I, I read, not recently, recently, but like, after the fact, after the heyday, so I, maybe it was like 10 years ago and I don't know, I reread a couple of the crime think books and they did not, they did not carry, they did not stand the test of time. No, a lot of them <laughs> I'm don't. I'm sorry to admit it. <laughs> they really didn't. It's kind of unfortunate because I used to be really into like Deep Green um, before they went all transphobic and, and went eco-fascist. Like I, it's so interesting because all these things, they really it's such a fine line between radicalism, radical activism and fucking fascism. And if you're not careful, it's so easy to just like slip into it, even with the COVID thing and how they were saying, um, Oh, people are the virus. And I was like, no, honey, no. But actually the virus is the virus. <laughs> I know. I was like, the virus is the virus. It's just another entity, you know, like, 
it's not people like I'm sorry <laughs> like I don't want to burst your bubble people suck it's just like like oh man now we gotta have a chat about eco-fascism great let's do it <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah seriously it, 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 it's it's so it's so true it really is Let's talk astrology before we close out because I I'm on your Patreon, everybody. I'm gonna have a link to Hex's Patreon in the show notes. It's the it's the jam. Um, but I I really love reading your astrological write ups. That's a terrible word, you know. The 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 super detailed, really interesting, really introspective, really thoughtful, deeply resonant things you teach us about upcoming astrology and how it relates to the actual world. I recently read your new moon in Virgo and it was awesome. And I'm curious. So like, okay, we're in Mars retrograde. There's like the whole fucking astrology of 2020 is a goddamn shit show. Um, if anyone listening doesn't know, just like Google, why is the astrology of 2020 fucked? No, <laughs> but I would love to hear what you're expecting from this fall. This isn't a binding prediction, but I'm curious if you have any predictions, any things for us to keep in mind. Um, will we defeat fascism? Is that in the astrology? Is the world officially ending? Talk to us. Tell us what we need to know to make the most. Yeah, I know. Do you really? No, you don't want, you don't want me to say that. I'm just kidding. (laughs) So I actually, I mean, I would like to say that I am an optimistic pessimist or a pessimistic optimist, right? Like I tend to veer on the side of okay, it's all going to shit, but it's okay because we might be able to fix it. You know, like <laughs> that's that's how I like to see things. <laughs> I can live with that. So okay. as far as it goes, um, I'll tell you how I view astrology and then I know this is maybe sacrilegious to astrologists, but that's just how I digest the information. I take it in through stories and narratives. So I like to picture the actual gods as the planet or the energy of the planet. So like if we're talking about Mars, I think of Aries. And if we're talking about Venus, I think of, you know, Aphrodite, whatever. And I think of like a myth that fits what we're talking about. So like with Mars in retrograde, I might think of how, you know, like Mars, when it's not retrograde, might be like Aries on the battlefield. And he's like, yeah, I'm kicking ass. I'm so awesome. And everyone's like, yeah, all right. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm with it. And then Mars retrograde is like, no, actually, Aries, you are the worst. I cannot stand you. Go to your corner and please do not be seen. That's like how I see it. And I'm like, okay, what is that energy? How can I explain that in the context of what's happening right now? And so... I think of it like, how would I feel as Mars as this like, you know, battlefield badass who's being told, actually, you're a little bitch, please leave, you know, like, so as far as I go, what do I expect? I expect that we're gonna see, it's just like, a lot of people are going to be quite humbled. And because not everyone deals with a very public and upsetting humbling in a constructive way. I expect for this to be many degrees of embarrassing and ugly for depending on the individual. So like, Ooh, how so? <laughs> like, okay, so Mitt Romney, for example, he was on this really great redemption arc. And I was like, yeah, okay, okay. I'm doing well. Right? 
he was doing well. He we got God. Like for a minute, I was like, okay, mate, I love you. Like, yes, I want to see more. Keep going. And then he was like, actually, no, I'm going to vote in the next Supreme Court person. Um, you don't have me. And I was like, oh, mate. <laughs> like, we're back. We all want I know, to we believe. wanted to believe you, honey. <laughs> yeah, we're back to the binders of women. I'm just not with the shit, mate. I'm not I, with the shit. So he's he's gonna he's gonna have it. It's gonna be embarrassing for him. He's he's it's the end of me. I'm sorry. Like it's just not gonna be good. It's gonna be bad. It's gonna be very <laughs> bad. Like if we think of like like the image that comes to mind is what was his running mate, like Rick Santorum, and how there was that picture that circulated for a really long time of him basically deep throating an ice cream cone. It's great. You should do it. I can't ever get it out of my mind. And people who are young don't know. And they're like, who is this? And I'm like, oh, honey, please. Like, <laughs> There was a time when this right? was our biggest concern. Like, that was the worst. I'm like, the heydays, the glory days. I'm sorry you don't remember them. Um, yeah, so I think, like, something as embarrassing as, like, like if you just imagine the essence of that photo <laughs> and what that means on a spiritual level for that person, but just publicly and everyone agreeing, you know, I feel like that's Mitt Romney's, like, arc. Like, he's just going to be, uh, he's going to go into this hermit where, <laughs> no, you know, I used to be cool once. Like, sure you did, Grandpa. You know, like, okay, Grandma, let's go, let's go home. That's like Mitt Romney's future. Um, as far as defeating fascism, no, it's not going to happen. Trump is totally going to win. Um, and best case scenario is he loses, and then stages a coup. Regardless, if he wins or loses, we're going to see people in the streets fighting for him, and it's basically brown coats and all of that. Like we are literally at that stage. And I don't even want to think about like how we got exactly into this moment because it doesn't matter. It's it's also been teetering on the edge forever and it has definitively like escalated and so regardless of all of that, it's like I don't have high hopes for what's going to happen. On top of all of that, I know COVID is going to make one last big hurrah and it's going to be really it's going to be a really intense fall. Halloween's probably going to be the start of the shit show and it's going to be like the one thing that we're already seeing a lot of the very stern ugly markings on the wall per se and but hopefully we'll get that celebration in without too much drama. But yeah, I just, I think 2021 is going to be really, really difficult. It might even last until 2022. And I think by 2023, 24, we're going to be seeing that a lot of things are coming together in a way that is beautiful and hopeful. I don't, I'm actually not that worried about climate change. I don't think it's as bad as we currently feel that it is. I think what we're scared of as far as that's concerned, because there's so many things, right? But these are the main things that we're kind of looking at. There's been all these heat waves. There's everything's on fire. I am, of course, like worried the earth and plants and animals and all of that. It's like it physically harms me when I see all the damage. But I think what's going to happen is that things are going to shift in a weird way that people just aren't prepared for. And of course, that's like a tower moment where things fall apart. But like, what I've noticed in my area is 
we're a Mediterranean climate, but it's been shifting almost in some ways to be more humid and almost tropical, which is strange, right? So I think that in a way we might see that as the, well, it is, it's climate change. So as we see the climates change, we might see that other things happen, like areas that were previously very forested become desertous, areas that were previously desertous become more forested. You know what I'm saying? Like things aren't going to completely die. They're just going to shift in ways that they used to be like in a time that was way before, like talking about specifically Southern California, that uh, this whole place used to be um, like a jungle in the Joshua trees and all that they were eaten by all the giant sloths and stuff that's why they have these hard shells um, which is part of the reason why they only grow in certain climates and why they're critically endangered um, they're kind of like a canary species for our area but it's interesting because all of this like an imperial desert which is um, where the Salton Sea is all that used to be like this huge lush green forested landscape and now it's a desert, but part of that is because of the shift in climates. And so I think it's interesting, like a lot of those um, wildflower blooms and all that, it happens in the desert areas, but it's been happening more frequently, the super blooms. And part of that is because we're getting more rain and it lasts for longer. And it's just like, so I think that some of those things are going to start to happen. And so I'm not that worried in the long term. In the short term, though, it's going to make everything more intense. But people are just in this place and like we've talked detached from community overworked underpaid everything's coming to a final head and so I think that we're really going to see a lot of people just opting out in the next year and that's going to start to become most apparent in the election season like in the fall so regardless of who is elected it's not gonna it's not gonna last you know it doesn't even matter at this point because even if it was um, Biden or whoever, we still have all this fascism in all the other places in the world. And the United States, I know it's terrifying and it's a big player in the game, so to speak, but I really do think that the American people, it's like, we just can't go on. And the amount of control that somebody like Trump wants to enact against the people and what Biden would have to enact if Trump's goons went out into the street trying to protest his election, it's like there would be such a swift crackdown either way that people would just immediately be pissed and it's going to be like civil war kind of situation. Hopefully not global war, but definitely a civil war. And I think that the intensity, I don't know, hopefully not that bad, but I think that as people start to realize we have more in common with each other than we don't and that we're more on the same side than we aren't and that we're fighting people that we love, <laughs> I think they're going to realize like we've been played. And so that's why I think in the next two years, we'll really see things turning around in a way that it's a first breath instead of like feeling like you're going to die constantly, you know? Well, everybody, you heard it here first. Hide until 2024. <laughs> that, that was my takeaway. That's, that's yeah. right, right? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Like, do do your deep breathing. You know, have a have a stash of whatever gets you through to the next day. Don't rely on social media because it's not going to be around forever. Um, you know, truly have your hoard of chocolate. That's all. You know, it's fine. <laughs>
Yeah. I mean, really right about now, I'm grateful that I listened to all of those people at protests who told me if I didn't like in the US, then I should just leave. I did. (laughs) Yeah. No, for real. That's what I'm saying too. Also, if you're in a position to leave and you're in one of these countries, which I would be most worried about the US, less worried about Australia, potentially the UK and maybe Canada. But if you're in any of those places and you're like, I see the writing on the wall and you're capable of leaving, get the fuck out. Don't hesitate. Do it before the year is over. Otherwise, you're not going to do it. You're in it to win it. And I hope you own a sword. (laughs) I hope you own a sword. That's going to be like the quote graphic I'm putting with this. um, (laughs) All of these incredible nuggets. That's going to be the one. (laughs) I mean, but although, you know, if me, I'm hoping maybe it gets my family to move here with me although my mother's a really picky eater so I just don't want to feed her so she did say if Trump wins can she move in with me and I said only if she cleans so we'll see what happens but (laughs) in all seriousness I mean that's I think such a powerful um non-sugar-coated look into what potentially is ahead and I agree with you and I you know, I kind of feel right now, like I did at the beginning of COVID and I put that in air quotes because of course it wasn't the true beginning. It was when I remember it was like in March and suddenly everybody was like, wait, this is a thing. Wait, this is actually happening. (laughs) This is just something on the news. It seemed like it happened overnight. And I remember so clearly everyone bless their hearts. They're like, it's just a couple of weeks, you know? And I knew it was going to be the year. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously it's going to be well beyond the year. And I feel kind of like that now. It's like, Everyone's kind of, you know, looking ahead to next year, thinking it's just going to magically get wiped clean. But it's the tower. I had a tower year a couple years ago, and it, you know, it took me a minute to get out of that. And I'm better for it, for sure. But it, you know, it wasn't like it was relegated just to 2017. You know, the after effects were felt for some time. Yeah. Because it takes some time, and if you don't pay attention to the structural flaws of the tower, it's inevitable that it's going to collapse, but it takes some time to collapse and even longer to rebuild something from that wreckage. Yeah, for sure. Truly. Well, tell the listeners where they can find your work, and tell us what you have coming up on the horizon of the... um, what is the word? The What's the word for like, oh, the dystopia oh, yeah. <laughs> that is ahead? What do you have coming up? That's so funny. I know. I like don't even do anything because I just want to reframe issues. So really the best place to kind of get more of my happy-go-lucky info drops <laughs> is Patreon, like you said. And that's just patreon.com slash hexactivist. And then I'm on um, most social media platforms, including the Orange Nightmare's favorite TikTok, um, at Hex Activist. <laughs> so you can find me on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, um, TikTok. I feel like there's other ones and none of them are occurring to me right now, but all the major ones. And yeah, that's pretty much it, I think. That's where you can find me, aside from like in the ether, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Find Hex Activists in the ether, also on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, really quick thing about TikTok. I know we're like so over. This is, I think, the longest interview of the season. And that's totally amazing. 
so wait i'm a little, I, i'm not on tiktok i just like what i look at tiktok when people repost it on instagram so wait isn't so tiktok is still a thing i'm lost because i thought like tiktok is now not a thing but then they're like you just can't download the new version of the app i don't really understand can you explain that to us who aren't on tiktok in like 30 seconds i don't know <laughs> if you can't okay. download the new version <laughs> of the app like so i just know that um trump tried to ban it because right i did well yeah i i don't know it's like you can't ban it you know it's just like all ego and so then he microsoft tried to broker a deal with um the parent company of tiktok which is based in china so oh yeah that's another thing get ready for a lot of xenophobia in 2021 it's going to be bullshit i'm not happy about it and this is tied in with eclipses too which i will be um getting into on patreon but yeah there's going to be a lot of anti-china sentiment which you you could tell if you think about this year and the previous one building up oh yeah it's all there even even japan is japan china and the u.s this is a whole arc there's so much karma there and it's all going to come to a head next year anyway um tiktok the parent company of tiktok and a microsoft owned company oracle are Mm -hmm. making some sort of an agreement and supposedly that's satisfying Trump and his conservative cronies enough that TikTok will continue to be available. So I'm still using it. I don't care. I'm going to use it until I literally cannot use it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, fuck you. I'm going to make a TikTok. I don't care. Like, it's anti-fascist of me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, who knew anti-fascism was going to be not fighting in the hills and killing Nazis, but making fucking TikToks? Like, I didn't ever see that coming. <laughs> it's the 2020 version of punching a Nazi. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you, Hex, so much for joining me on the show today. Everyone listening, as always, the links to Hex's Patreon and all the other good stuff are in the show notes, so go ahead and click there. Thank you for joining us, and I will talk to you all again soon, probably next week. Just kidding. Of course, it's next week, every Friday. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Work Like a Witch. If you loved the show, be sure to leave me a review on iTunes to spread the word. Talk to you next Friday.